Hey there, welcome to ATL in 29, a podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording on a Tuesday evening after the Hawks made a change at the head coaching position. Glenn, do you want to be the next full-time, not interim head coach of the Hawks? I do not. Oh, okay. I don't. Well, that was quick. It's It's too much work. I mean, I, I love basketball. I love the coaching I get to do. I love working with kids. Um, I mean, I, I mean, you can't. I, I mean, I know it's um, a silly hypothetical, but man, could you imagine going from like coaching like I do to like dealing with professional personalities, <laughs> the whole organization, the media, the you know, people like you, you know, asking tough wow. questions all the time. People like me. That was that was <laughs> that took a dark turn. <laughs> <laughs> all in good fun but no, no i mean it's funny some people on twitter have been kind of funny like hey glenn you should be the coach like i am not remotely qualified but it pays well i am interested i am interested to see how this this new ish front office navigates this so there's that yeah it's certainly a an opportunity to learn more about what this front office is going to be like uh, i think it's fair to try to make some evaluation of it. Uh, I guess there were a few lists and a few emphases on various candidates. Woj had a list. Shams had a list. Uh, I think Woj's list was, uh, let's see, Kenny Atkinson, Quinn Snyder, and Charles Lee. Mm -hmm. And then Shams had a bigger list that uh, went to a few other folks. Were were there any names on that list that struck out as... uh, likely or unlikely or good or not as good to you? I mean, you know, I think most of them are (laughs) well-regarded coaches, and some of them have some ties, obviously, back to a prior era with the Hawks. By the way, I had had the note here. I'm interrupting myself. I'm sick of my medication, so I'm blaming on that. So Nate now has a a career winning percentage of 532, 510 with the Hawks, um, but his best playoff run certainly came uh, with the Hawks there. But, I mean, it's it was a little surprising to me, I guess, to see some of the assistants Bud had here in Atlanta come on the list. I didn't know how wrestler felt at this point in time about potentially kind of, you know, going in that direction and considering that. Uh, so that, I find that interesting. Um, you know, for me, people have been kind of asking me on Twitter a little bit, like, what's your opinion? Who should they get? I, gotta ask, I get asked about... D'Antoni and I, my response there was, yeah, I don't think he's the right person. I think they've they've had a you know some turnover here the last you know three seasons now, four seasons, whatever we want to count. Um, and I feel like they need to find a coach who can you know be in the job for you know four years and to have those four years feel like the beginning of something and not you know a time to start winding down um, again and and going in a new direction and. I'm not sure that that's what D'Antoni has to offer now. I don't want to speak for him, but, you know, I mean, my view, like Charles Lee, Kenny Atkinson, Quinn Snyder, like they're very different people and coaches. And it's interesting to kind of, you know, play with like, well, how would he look, you know, how would he look versus how would that guy look and stuff. And we can get into some of that if you want to, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate this. If they, 
are truly patient and, you know, presumably they can't get to a guy like Charles Lee until after the season. Same with Kenny Atkinson. Um, you know, that I know that the Timberwolves a season and a, I guess it was a little more than a season and a half ago now went out and got a guy from a staff, but that was early in the season, you know, wasn't this late in the season where coaching staff is, are really trying to kind of start to help build their team up for a postseason run. So, you know, I find those those names intriguing, you know, and interesting. And um, we could talk about them in a little bit more depth uh, and stuff like that. But, I mean, there's not one that jumps out at me as like, that's the guy they have to go get or that's the guy I think they should go get. I don't think there is a name like that. I think they're starting to explore this and they should be open-minded right now. That's my view. Yeah, it's, you you kind of made one distinction that I think is important. Um, but it's noteworthy that, first of all, that all three were names on the Woj list were former Mike Budenholzer assistants. They're all assistant coaches for whom Kyle Korver played. Mm-hmm. Um, but you made the distinction that, you know, Quinn Snyder can talk to the Hawks now because he's not in a position, whereas Kenny Atkinson and Charles Lee have affiliations with teams. So, you know, ostensibly they're going to finish out those jobs this season at least. Uh, right. And, you know, even at the end of the season, I don't think contracts expire. I, I mean, I guess I don't really know that. I sh- shouldn't say that without knowing. Um, but, you know, it may require, let's say, put it that way, they may have to get permission from, from their teams. Um, and I think another important distinction is that while all three were assistants for the Hawks under Budenholzer, uh, Snyder left in 2014. So he was, uh, he left before the wrestlers purchased the team. Yeah. Whereas Charles Lee, you know, would have been here in Atlanta and, you know, probably has some relationship with the wrestlers, some familiarity with them. Uh, and probably right. the same for Kenny Atkinson, although I think that's going to be a briefer overlap. He wasn't here quite as long. So, but I, I think, you know, he probably has some familiarity with the wrestlers, at least a little bit too. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting setup. Do you. <laughs> uh, do you, you, you made a tweet uh, specifically about Charles Lee. Yep. Uh, you said that you got to see him up close and personal because you know you like to sit close to the benches in Las Vegas Summer League and and eavesdrop and so I would ask you uh you know what was your experience in that regard like um in, you know he just stood out a good bit around how engaged he was around all the details coaching all positions really verbally encouraging guys to remember the plan, stick to the plan, stay on the plan. He had a, just a ton of energy. Like, um, you know, if, if you kind of, if you go to a full summer league, like I have numerous times, understandably, you'll see a lot of coaches kind of wear down <laughs> across the week and a half or, or whatever the length of the, it is now. Right. Um, and he just never did, you know, this was a number of, this has had to be what, five, six years ago now, probably something in that range. I don't remember exactly what year it was, um, but just, just his positivity, his engagement and his willingness to keep reminding young players the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Like 
that's the year that Diamond Stone played uh, for the Hawks Summer League team. And after like two games of hearing Charles Lee yell like every three seconds when they're on defense, hands, diamond hands, get your hands, as me, you say, get your hands up, you know, right over. I mean, I was hearing that in my sleep. I was hearing that when I was trying to fall asleep, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, and so it just, he, he just like never stopped working as a coach. And, you know, for me that, that him, I think he and Taylor Jenkins both remind me most of Bud in that way that Bud coaches hard, you know, Bud coaches really hard, really persistently. And especially when his team is kind of starting to get a little off track, starting to get a little wobbly, he doesn't kind of disengage or, you know, kind of sit down. He like, he really tries to coach his team through it. I think Bud is probably, you know, with a different team now that doesn't need that so much now, you know? Right. Um, but, but when I watch Taylor Jenkins and Charles Lee, they remind me a lot of a guy who would just kind of try to coach a team through adversity, coach a team through a tough part in the game, coach a team that's being challenged to kind of maybe let go of their plan and coach them, you know, back onto the plan and that just struck me that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean he's the best hire or whatever i was just kind of sharing the observation that of i don't know how many coaches i've observed from like right behind their bench in summer league i don't know at least a hundred you know and he you know he's not the only one but he's just someone that just strikes you as that's just something that's different about him and so i just thought i'll throw that observation out there interesting yeah i mean you know, Bud had some veteran teams here too, and he—I don't necessarily yeah. think that, that would uh, dissuade him from coaching hard because he he coached right. hard with those veterans too. He was hard on some of them. It was like, really, you're going to say that? Like, um, no, I remember I remember being a game in, in Milwaukee, and um, if you if you may remember this, the uh, Hawks played there with the overtime, and the last three possessions, Al was so annoyed with Bud. All I wanted to know was, am I in the pick and roll or am I going to the weak side corner? And Bud would just look at Al and go and scream at the top. I was like, ow! And he pointed to the weak side corner. And, you know, Al looked like a little puppy dog kind of getting scolded and running to the weak side corner. And, like, Al's look was like, why are you screaming at me like this? Just just tell me where you want me. You know, and they were putting Paul in the pick and roll uh, at that point in time. But it was, you know, I think Bud has evolved a little bit since then, Yeah, I would guess, you know. As we all do, right? right? You know, so um, so it's just that's interesting. But I mean, the thing with Charles is that I, I and I think I think you see the same thing with Taylor, which is just the positivity, you know, um, and the encouragement and things like that, which appeals to me. I you know, I think back to the coaching I got personally a million years ago, and I, I like a lot of the I think for a lot of athletes that kind of kind of came through in the eighties or whenever, and and you know struggle still as an adult with like some negative self-talk I like I feel like I picked that all up from my coaches where like if we lost we were scum you know we <laughs> sucked we were terrible we should be totally ashamed of ourselves and so when I see a coach second coach hard and be persistent with kind of the plan and the message but do it with some positivity that that appeals to me but just an observation I, that doesn't mean that I think that he should be the guy that they go they go higher I wanted to add though I, I'll see if, if you agree from Shams list Shams list I mean, I don't think the Spurs would really – are they going to keep Mitch Johnson from really exploring this like right now if that's what the Hawks want to do with the kind of season they're having, do you think? No, I mean, I don't I don't think that would – I think they've been – I think they have a track record of being fairly open of letting their assistants interview. I, 
think there's yeah. a lot of precedent there. Totally. So yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, and I would imagine Landry has a relationship there, right? Um, right. And then uh, Miles Simon's in the G League. I, I I can't imagine they would hold him back. Without, I mean, right. That's, this presumes the Hawks want to act quickly, you know. And, and the only reason I think in, I'm interested in your thoughts. The only reason, reason I think they would want to do that is that they think it might positively impact the season, which I think is kind of unrealistic for a new person to come in. Yeah, I don't think 20, they. 20, I don't know that they necessarily want to have an impact this season i think that you know i think the main advantage is they're out in front of it like hey we're looking for a head coach but so might these other teams you know they might be looking for a head coach if, if we're searching first we might get you know the pick of the crop so to speak yeah true i mean and, and of yeah, course um, you know it depends like there's no guarantee that if you offer somebody the head coaching position that they're gonna say yep i want it i mean there's a negotiation on finances like, right. you know, Charles Lee's, he was probably here long enough to have a relationship with the wrestlers. But, you know, if he's under contract with the Bucks, you know, first of all, do they get permission? And then, like, you know, I don't think, like, certainly if they have, he, he has his own relationship with the wrestlers, that's one thing. But he's also going to probably seek Bud's input on it. And, you know, I don't think Budenholzer left Atlanta on the greatest of terms with the wrestlers because, he was demoted before he left. You know, he was president of basketball operations and then he was down to the head coach again. So and he, and he didn't and he didn't he didn't want to tank and rebuild, you know. No, he didn't want to tank and rebuild. Um, like the day of his exit interview before he left, we spent fifteen minutes listening to Freebird while he lifted weights in the back room. I don't think that that was a coincidence. Uh yep, that makes sense to me. Another Charles Lee story. I remember in the Shelvin Mac years, as we all call those years. Um surely. Uh, Sheldon wasn't playing very much, and I would uh, I caught a few games where Sheldon was getting in um, some, I guess cardio we'll call it, uh, before the game. And a lot of times you'll just see coaches, you know, but uh, you know the coach that's assigned to a player, you know, but have you just kind of stand there and you know monitor or whatever. And Sheldon was running sideline to sideline to sideline to sideline to side. I, I I mean I lost count like how many times he did it. Charles Lee ran everyone with him. Every single one with him, like everyone, and that's to, that to me is he was young to just you know he, he's certainly younger than he was he was but it's, it's but not every young coach would do that no yeah I mean in the coaching is is a tiring job you're you're up late yeah. you're game planning you're watching whatever you know and and they, to me again that doesn't mean he's gonna be like the next great coach or whatever but it's just something that you see that. You're like that's different. That's just that's different, you know. And it, to me, it catches my eye. Okay. Uh. How would you? Uh. How would you? How, how do we memorialize Nate's tenure with the Hawks here? I mean, I guess if memorialize. I mean, I guess if you look sort of at the big picture, I mean, like, you know, he started with a bang. Uh. Mm -hmm. You know, I. I think we almost said it at the time, like it was sort of best of both worlds because you got Nate's leadership, but you sort of had the offensive vision of Lloyd Pierce and the rest of his staff, and it worked kind of well. And then as bits and pieces of that started to pull away in the subsequent years, uh, you know, the scheming didn't quite keep up with what it was in that first run. So, uh, I mean, I guess predictable, uh, you know, consistent, uh, but you know, that, that comes with 
good and bad things. Like, I think the players sort of liked the consistency under Nate. Like, I, I'm sure uh, there's there are always going to be players who are frustrated at times, but, um, you know, I I think there's a certain level of familiarity where you can you know expect certain things from the rotation, and I I think some of the players kind of liked that. I I think that uh, played into the stability for for the team when it was going well, but. Uh, you know, at times, you know, it comes with drawbacks too because you want to be a little more reactive to the circumstances around you. And Nate was more of a consistency guy, and so you know he would kind of keep doing the same thing. And um, you know, while that gives a certain familiarity to the players and lets them know what to expect, it also doesn't uh, put players necessarily in the best positions to succeed if the conditions around them change quite a bit. So. Uh, you know, it, it's sort of good and bad. And, you know, he's he's a good head coach. Like, he's he's smart. He knows basketball. He's been doing it a long time. He's got a heck of a lot of NBA wins. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of postseason success. But, you know, he's he's a basketball lifer. He, he knows the gig. Yeah, I know. We, I know we had a kind of in-depth conversation. I felt like the first month or first six weeks of the season – or I was explaining my view, but and I, and I I did this with 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 Brad too. Um, don't fire me for mentioning Brad here. Hi, Brad. Um, but um, that yeah, you know, I my view is that Nate's not a solutions coach. He's someone who really wants his team to focus on the basics and the fundamentals. And I said all along that in my experience, personally coaching and then even observing you know, professional levels and all that sort of stuff is that I think getting back to the basics and the fundamentals and correcting things in that area is the solution 80% of the time. That's just my guess, right? More yeah. a majority of the time. That's where your that's where your performance is breaking down. Right. And for, you know, where the, I mean, if you kind of looked at the areas where the Hawks struggled under the previous head coach, as good as that office could be, sometimes that's where they would just completely lose control of games, you know, basic execution defensive half court you know things like that and nate is awesome at that stuff and really drives that stuff home and and i think there has been some benefit you know coming from that i think hawks fans hawks fans can think whatever they want individual hawks fans can have whatever view they want obviously can voice whatever they want but to say that nothing good came from this that no growth came from this that nothing positive came from this i think is um being uh, taking too narrow of a view and um did this seem inevitable at some point it kind of did i mean especially when we heard the noise but a month back when he said to himself yeah we all he said to himself while everybody was listening <laughs> uh we all think about retiring you know uh and that that was to me a kind of an obvious message that okay it's, it certainly seems like he's gonna retire at the end of the season so i i can't imagine i mean i don't know nate at all but i can't imagine he's necessarily feeling brokenhearted about not finishing here um, if you if what you hear about Nate is, you know, is factual, is that he wants, I'm sure he was wishing good things for the team and the organization and the next person and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, his son's I, still I on the coaching staff. Absolutely. I'm sure he's Absolutely. wishing that they, that things right. go well for, for his son for the rest of the season. Like if they, his team, if that team, you know, goes on a run, I'm sure he'll be rooting for the Hawks uh, Absolutely. For, for that reason. Yeah, agree, agreed. And but but I I do think, you know, sometimes that there is an underappreciation for what the collective staff 
beans, right? I think too much focus on Lloyd Pierce. I thought Lloyd built a really good staff, you know. I thought like Marlon Garnett was great in his, you know, for what he kind of brought to the guards. And, you know, I, I think the world of, of Alvin Hunt and what he brought um kind of offensively, especially and Chris Jett's a really good coach, you know, and we could yeah. go kind of on and on. Matt, I think Matt Hill's gonna be a really good head coach one day down the road. If you just kind of follow his role and what he's had the opportunity to do at Team USA, you know, kind of kind of stuff. I think that suggests that he's got some potential. But it will be interesting to see not only who they hire, um, but it really, really is important that um, a really good staff is put together and developed. And I felt like that was where some of – and this isn't me, like, uh, trying to trash any of the current staff that they have. Um, I just think that um, they – I think LP had a really good staff, and some of the losses there would have taken some time to kind of – kind of re- recover some of the collective strength and capability and talent that that staff had. Um, and Nate went from interim to being hired um, kind of, kind of right away. And I think, I think in a way that makes it harder, you know, Nate wasn't going to necessarily go back and kind of build an entire staff from scratch. That doesn't really make much sense when you're getting carried over. Um, but he did lose. I thought some of the key assistant coaches there. So it's not just as hire. Um, it's it's also about getting kind of a staff put together that can um, maybe put player development a little bit higher priority than it's been with Nate. Um, can kind of put a, a multi-year vision in place and get a, get a staff that can kind of you know commit in and to working through that um, with them. So you know me, I'm optimistic. I'm excited to see what they do. You know, I wrote at Peace Through Hoops that I wasn't thrilled with kind of how the whole Travis transition, we will call it that happened. I, I wrote that it, that it didn't seem clear to me at the time, like who's actually making decisions here. And does it, and you know, even if we were told who's making decisions, doesn't make sense. But uh, at the same time, I also said, I thought they handled the trade deadline very well. You know, I thought they, I thought they did great, you know? Um, and so here's another opportunity. So while I don't like kind of the path that, that got them to where they are in some ways, I also am careful to not say that I I am, you know, closing my mind to the possibility that they might find a way to be successful. And um and so the one kind of big opportunity to judge them, the trade deadline, I give them an A plus, you know. So let's see how they handle this. And I'm eager to see how they handle it and we'll see how they do. And when they make a decision, we'll share our perspectives on it, I suppose. You mentioned player development a minute ago, and I, I think that's kind of a key touchstone. I think it was a big moment for Nate when he said something, you know, I think it was in the preseason or in camp, and he's like, you know, we're not we're not about development anymore. And that felt like a little bit like hyperbole. It probably got blown out of proportion for what it was, but I, I still think it's interesting to just look at sort of the continuum of player development under both Lloyd Pierce and then Nate McMillan, because I think for the players like Trey Young and John Collins, because those are really the two that have been here through all of it is great. Like they're really good players. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never really got to doing it this season, but like 
it's remarkable like how good John Collins is on defense compared to what mm-hmm. he was as a rookie. Like it's, it's just impressive. mind-blowing. Like I can't wrap my head around it. Like right. Trey has matured a lot. He does so much on a basketball court. Like if you look at player development for those two, it's great. Where I think, you know, it comes up short is for those players who came in just under Nate. Because I think if it had just been under Lloyd Pierce, you know, I think Nate really helped guys like Trey and John mature into professionals. And he came at the perfect time for them. But for guys like Jalen and Anyeka, it's a little bit of a different story. Like they, they might need somebody new for their development. And I'm, I'm curious to see how those guys look under the next coaching regime. Yes. I likewise, I think that was really well said. Um, And also, like for Nyeka to be here for you know, for this stretch of time, where development hasn't been maybe the priority it should have been, depending on from, you know whose perspective you're kind of asking for there, and to be this good, I think just says so much about how good he's going to be. You know, um, he, he's just kind of pushed pushed through it. You know, and, uh, and, that, and that's not to say that assistant coaches haven't been working hard, you know, with their players that they're, you know, they have a development plan and things like that. It's just that it hasn't been kind of the organizational priority or the, it wasn't the priority with Nate. I think Nate, what Nate was saying was, we're not going to sacrifice wins for the sake of development. I think that's what he meant, right? For sure. Oh, yeah. Um, not that there's going to be no development, but I mean, I was frustrated last game when Jalen didn't play until garbage time. We talked about that, you know? Yeah. And and a part of this change is just to um, maybe kind of get that um, part of the plan a little bit different, you know, where hey, Jayla needs to play. I'm, I'll be thrilled with that, you know. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how the how that goes. I I respect Joe Prunty. You know, I think he's a, a a good a good coach. I don't I, I don't really have an opinion on him as a head coach. We've never kind of seen it apart from him finishing out that season uh, in Milwaukee, which is a tough task, you know, for anyone. I mean, Nate stepped in as a guy who'd been a head coach for a long time. You know, Joe had didn't have that luxury when he stepped in in, in Milwaukee. But I think he's, he's. I mean, if he, Joe Prunty is a guy, if they carry him over, I, I would be happy to see that just because I think he's just, you know, if you look what he did in, in San Antonio and kind of how respected he is from that time and everything, I think he's, you know, he's good, but It'll it'll be interesting to see. It's kind of funny. So I I gave my opinion on Charles Lee. I laugh myself when I think about Quinn Snyder and Trey Young working together because my view of Quinn. I'm saying this for a fact. I'm not I'm not using the word because I actually think Quinn is one. But Quinn strikes me from my observations as being a bit of a psychopath for the details, like really really detailed, really detailed. You know, and if you're if if like if you're watching Rudy Gobert being coached not by Quinn Snyder you know um I don't know that another coach will ever get as much out of Rudy Gobert that that Quinn Snyder did you know uh and 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 maybe I'm not giving Trey enough credit for being able to adapt to a coach who coaches at that granular of a level that hard you know and that um aggressively but to me it just on the surface it seems like that would be an odd pairing uh, because I, you know, I think, I think Trey wants a certain amount of freedom, a certain amount of, he wants to be able to deploy a certain amount of artistry within his game, if you will. 
and Quinn is like super rigid around detail. Now maybe Quinn's a little different his next go around too. You know, he, I don't know, but that I, that just kind of kind of strikes me as funny. Kenny Kenny in Brooklyn was super accommodating, and maybe that's what got him in trouble once Katie and Kyrie you know showed up. Um, it, is that he was accommodating with a younger team? He, he had his team young team in Brooklyn played really fast. I thought they always played better than their actual talent and experience level. Um, Kenny seems like just an awesome person. Uh, you know, um, and but I don't have necessarily a kind of a really specific thought around how good of a fit I think that would be. I think Kenny's would be a good coach for almost any team, you know, is my is my view. And I respect the work that he did in Brooklyn, committing to trying to work with a young team, not chasing wins, not worrying about his legacy and just trying to build up his young players. Uh, and you kind of see like what Jared Allen's doing. In, he's in Cleveland now, but what a heck of a player he is, you know, and you can see like. Um, even a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, like kind of, you know, what he has become along the way and and so forth, you know. And so it's, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see who they hire. But I, the one that strikes me is I, I think of Quinn Snyder a bit of a, like a, a, a cartoon villain kind of style just because the demeanor he takes on the sideline and and things like that. And um, I'm sure he's a wonderful person uh, and all that. But it just that just kind of strikes me as being the most peculiar, peculiar potential fit. Just because I think stylistically it'd be different, but again, once once again, I'm not going to sit here and say that it wouldn't work. But that's the way they go. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's 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 funny to kind of look at the way that things ended in Utah, and it really didn't seem like anybody was particularly happy after years under Snyder in Utah. Like it just right. seemed like everybody was kind of sick of each other. <laughs> Right, but it's like how much of <laughs> that in like, all corners, and you I just know, wonder it, it, if if the heavy handedness kind of like not even in the, like year one, but like you get to year three, year four, like that that sort of heavy handed, detail oriented approach. Uh, you know, I wonder if that sort yeah. of grates after a while. I know, and it's hard to like pick out one thing. Like, I, I it seems Donovan and Rudy didn't always get along, and like right. was Quinn sick of that? Like Rudy's Rudy's just a little a little different you know now like i'll say uh, over and over and over like rudy no one has impressed me more with like his conditioning a, a player in the league like like rudy like the reason rudy got so good on defense to me the primary reason was just he got in such great shape you know that you can't really kind of kind of fault that and then the final variable is danny shows up you know <laughs> right and I, I don't know that Danny's always super transparent about his plan with everyone. You know, um, he's got a plan A, plan B, C, D, E, F, and G, and not everyone likes that, you right. know? So that that probably was some portion of that too, but it is going to be interesting to see kind of where where Quinn falls next because I, I think he had a lot of success there. I think he really had a got a lot of success out of the roster that he had there, even though, you know, Donovan and Rudy are two of the high-profile Guys in the league, I think getting those guys to work uh, on both ends was the challenge, and I thought he did quite well. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. Um, I I don't really have an expectation as to whether they wait till after the season or kind of find something they can make happen now. Um, I don't think it's really going to have much of an impact on the rest of this season, um, either way. But if this is like you know, like I said. Evaluation opportunity number one was the trade deadline. Great job. We'll see how they do here. My fingers are crossed that they do good work. 
find a good situation and everybody's feeling good about things, you know, come June, July timeframe for the latest, I think. And uh, there's some positivity and optimism around the team. That's always a good thing and enjoyable thing. And hopefully Hawks fans can, can kind of feel encouraged for what, um, what might be possible beyond this year. Yeah. As you bring it back to the front office, you know, one thing that I, and, and also bringing it back to the what what remains of this season, you know, one thing that I'm, I mean, I mean it's always going to be hard to say, you know, what what do you actually have in this front office because it hasn't been a draft yet. Like, there's just so many things that go into it. But you know, one thing that I'm tracking, and it's not just what the front office thinks and what the coach thinks. It's also what the players put into it. But you know, I'm eager to see. And again, it's not necessarily these two pitted against each other, but I'm eager to see sort of the Jalen Johnson, Sadiq Bay fallout going forward. Uh, because, you know, if if Sadiq is sort of prioritized going forward over Jalen or, you know, at the expense of Jalen, uh, you know, with this front office sort of making the Bay move and, you know, the previous front office being the ones that drafted Jalen, like, I think that would be a mistake. Like, I just think there's, there's so much more promise on Jalen's side Uh, and to fall in love with your own transaction would be a a deep mistake. So if they, I'm just hoping that they, they view Sadiq as a useful piece. They, there's probably room to develop both of them, but if one gets developed over the other, the wrong way, I think that's uh, that would be a little bit of a red flag going forward. And uh, to, to backtrack a little bit to Kenny Atkinson, uh, you know, I think he's, he would be a little bit more in the middle ground between the positivity of somebody like Charles Lee and sort of the grinder that, that Quinn Snyder is. And, and it would be interesting, you know, can he win over, you know, a, a superstar like Trey, but I, I think he might be able to, like, I think he kind of could tiptoe the balance and, you know, b- between the grind and, and being sort of the player side coach. But I think he also sees the game from, from a point guards perspective. So I think, think you know if he was in that locker room with Trey for a while uh you know he'd probably get Trey's respect I I really do think that he kind of sees the game from the point guard point of view you know he he sort of played it as a point guard himself you know Dennis Schroeder could not refer to Kenny Atkinson enough when Dennis was here he you know I think he used Kenny Atkinson's name more than any player used any assistant coach's name ever because he just you know he gushed over what he learned from Kenny and you know, I, I think that kind of, uh, you know, relationship, you know, would be a good indicator of, you know, what he might be able to work with, uh, with Trey. Not, not that Trey needs a whole lot of point guarding prowess. Like he's a prodigy point guard, but just the fact that he could see the game that way uh, from Trey's point of view, I think it would go well. Yeah, I, I think he could um, manifest ideas around what Trey needs around him. Right. And, you know, and how to maximize Trey, not just through helping Trey continue to get better, but also kind of building a plan and a, and, and collaborating on a, a roster construction that emphasizes uh, Trey's abilities and strengths and sets the team up for the most success, taking full um, uh, advantage of all the, all the Trey kind of brings to bear. You know, I'm not sure, you know, that, that seems to be something where, I, I don't think Nate always kind of hit the mark on that. You know, Nate wants the team to play defense and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I do think, um, 
you know, someone who kind of kind of see through that lens uh, could potentially, you know, be uh, a person that can help them set the right formula to get them back on track with, um, you know, Trey help leading the way towards being a top five offense and then hopefully continuing to build some um, reliable defense to play too. But you know, I, I like that idea, you know, for sure. Anything else before we depart? I don't think so. I don't, I, I, there will inevitably be one or two or three more names that come up. You know, yeah. I just want to say, like, across the league, guys, that I'm watching next round, Sam Cassell. I think you and know, I have talked about him a little bit. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good co- head coach in the league. But um, keep an eye on Sean Sweeney, his lead assistant. And I think he's the lead assistant in Dallas. Uh, he's uh, a key assistant in Dallas. He coached with uh, Joe Prunty in Milwaukee. Right. Um, on Jason Kidd's staff, there. Um, he's, I think, he's a kind of up and comer, uh, up and coming guy in the league, and, and and we'll see what other name might kind of kind of pop out there. I would guess that if Sam Cassell, Sam Cassell was going to be on the list, that would already kind of be out there, unless Doc is just like, nope, not we're not putting anything out. You know, my team is too easy to distract it anyway. <laughs> you know, I just think I just, I think this offseason we're going to see. Sam Cassell's name really kind of thrown out there as a guy who's going to get a chance to go get uh, an open head coaching position. And I think Sean Sweeney has, you know, worked with, you know, that Milwaukee group. He's worked, he worked with Dwayne Casey for a couple of seasons in Detroit. And um, last year was really key to kind of the defensive execution they had there in Dallas. I just think he's, he's an up and coming guy. So just want to throw out a couple more names that I think, you know, wouldn't be surprised if not, if if they don't get associated with this process as other teams start um make it looking for coaching changes might get associated with them as well. So just I don't want Hawks fans to think this is the list. I, I think there's inevitably going to be a few more names that come out along the way. Very good. Well, that's interesting. Uh Kenny Kenny's got a trip to Atlanta coming up when the Warriors come to town. So we'll see. Yeah. We've already had Charles Lee through here. So we'll yeah, I can't wait to hear like that Kenny gets here. I can't I can't wait to hear that Kenny got an interview and then Joe Lake could make the hawk make Tony pay for his hotel room for the night or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Kevin.